You're listening to the Be Fox and Be Frank show on the Let Me Be Frank podcast network. We're going to start again with college football this week. The first notable result of last week was kind of a shock. Houston just destroying Louisville 36-10. to 10. Yeah, the one week I don't pick them, they, they do well. I, I don't know what to say. Lamar Jackson was not efficient and could not run the ball at all. The uh, defensive line for Houston really dominated, and my guy Greg Ward kind of did most of it on his own as he didn't get much help from Duke Catalan in the backfield. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about this game, obviously Lamar Jackson struggled um, in large part because of that Houston defense that has been very good for the majority of the season, uh, is that a lot of people now kind of casting his Heisman uh, candidacy into doubt, or rather his stronghold on the uh, pole position. Think there's any any merit to that thought? Not a chance. He's been so dominant all year just because he has a bad game against Houston doesn't make him... And that's a good Houston defense, too. They may have had a couple off games, but that that's a good defense when you look at it and see what they did to Baker Mayfield. So there's no reason for people to jump off the Lamar Jackson bandwagon because he absolutely is and should win the Heisman. One bad game on the road on a Thursday night doesn't define an entire season of what he's done. Yeah, the, the thing about Heisman voters, there are many things that bother me, uh, but there seems to be a lot of recency bias, certainly. And also, Heisman candidates are oftentimes unfairly tied to their team's one-loss record. Um, too often, it's kind of interpreted as the best player on the best team rather than just the best player, period, uh, which is why a lot of times we've kind of had a glut in recent years of just Alabama running backs. Um, but... I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time just seeing anyone who compares to Jackson's overall body of work. Like the, the biggest, the biggest joke in college football this year is Shabril Pepper's Heisman candidacy. Like, I, I don't understand how that's a thing. Uh, they could not stop talking about it during Indiana, Michigan on Saturday. At one point, Greg McElroy, who was doing color or trying to do color commentary, uh, keyword there. He was comparing Ohio State and Michigan. He said on offense he couldn't pick between uh, Curtis Samuel and Jabril Peppers, which I just didn't understand because it's like very laughable. I I don't like people. People have seen the the two plays he's carried the ball this year out of the backfield. I guess cause I he doesn't have good statistics at all he just plays different positions and doesn't do anything you know that well to be getting this kind of fight i don't know yeah it it makes no sense that anyone's even throwing him in the conversation they're doing it strictly out of name it's not out of any sort of production on the field because he's had an average at best season he hasn't done anything special and there were there was a point in the pre uh, just before the season started that you and I were talking about him playing every down of the game and we haven't really seen that. He hasn't gotten touches on offense. He does play special teams, but I mean it's not there's like nothing overpowering that he does. Yeah, and it could just be like we also talked about in that conversation, just a, a case of overexertion that he is kind of being asked to do so much that he's not doing anything exceptionally well um i i mean i haven't really been paying that much attention to his snap count over the course of the season but i mean that's that's a possibility as well but again i just to underscore and bring it back to the original point i just don't see anyone challenging lamar jackson still for for that front spot i think it's it's still his to lose and he'd have to have just a remarkably bad rest of the season to you know let everybody else catch up right and you know it's kind of ridiculous that people are even considering jalen hurts he's had a good freshman year but he obviously plays on 
easily the best team in the country. And he hasn't put up like anything impressive in terms of numbers. So there's really no one that I see that really can, can contend with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I'd agree. Maybe, well, not even contend, but just someone who would probably be a finalist, Baker Mayfield. But again, like, completely agree. I don't see anybody else contending. He threw a whopping 15 passes last week. And if you're going to put Mayfield in there, you should put D.D. Westbrook, who's had an unbelievable yeah. year at receiver. But he doesn't play quarterback, so that's... Oh, that's right. Forgot <laughs> about that. See, but we yeah. also last week had uh, kind of a, a big a big loss for uh, for Coach O if he wants that LSU job. The uh, the Hurricane Matthew makeup game at LSU, Florida, with a uh, stand at the goal line to win 16-10 over LSU. Uh, it was a battle of Purdue quarterbacks, and it showed in the score. Um, the running game was good on both sides, I'd say. Uh, Fournette got shut down pretty well, but then again, that's a really good Florida defense, and Darius Geis kind of picked up where Fournette couldn't. And Scarlett was really, really, really good for Florida, which was essentially the difference in this game. <laughs> I mean, the two quarterbacks combined to be 21 of 42, which is exactly what I'd expect out of Purdue quarterbacks. They threw for what is it, 200 and 140 yards, respectively. So, I mean, it, it was a very, very easy under to bet this week, even though I don't do those. And, I don't know, it's just, it's not, I I can't even put into words, like, what's going on, but Coach O gets his boys up for the game, and then the offense lets them down. Because that's a really good defense and a really good team, and the offense just can't do a damn thing to they they deflate the team more than anything else. Yep, LSU unders are the new just printing money. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously the the biggest play of the game. I, I happened to turn it on right as this was happening, right after Florida and it stopped LSU deep in the red zone, just turning around, throwing that uh, ninety-eight yard touchdown to freshman Cleveland, which provided well over half of Applebee's total passing yards on yep. the day. Um, and inflated his, I mean, his numbers still look terrible even with that, which is hilarious, but yeah, I, I mean, for all of the, the sweeping changes within, you know, LSU's coaching staff, like the offense still kind of has the same problems. Obviously Fournette, not a hundred percent, wasn't even going to play until, you know, they got in the shoving match before the game and then he tried and was still very limited, but like even even the last possession of the game down by the goal line, um, just no creativity. It was honestly just seemed like it was still Les Miles and Cam Cameron calling the shots. Um, just kept running the ball right up the middle, hoping something would change. When you know Florida, we know has an exceptional defense, especially uh, the front four. But I mean, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised by by the result there, but. Yeah, LSU is certainly hoping for a lot more. Yeah, I thought the home game would have, you know, been enough to swing it in their favor. And honestly, they had every chance in the world to win that game. There was nothing that Florida did that said they wanted to win more than LSU. I mean, it was it was a bad, it was a good bad SEC game. There were some really good parts in terms of defense, and the offense was just so horrendous, and some of the coaching was bad too but I mean it is what it is and I don't think Coach O is going to have a job at the end of the year or at least not at LSU yeah not as the head coach of LSU which is a damn shame because now he's going to go somewhere and be the next interim coach and <laughs> rattle off a couple wins in a row no, I trying to think of a kind of pretty high major program that could be in that situation it would have been perfect if you know charlie strong somehow didn't end up getting fired and got fired yeah. in the middle of next year brian kelly he could come to notre dame be d coordinator yeah. that'd be interesting that would be wild two uh, totally opposite personalities yeah I don't, i'm having a very hard time picturing that but yeah that would 
That would be Coach Coach O in most situations. Would just be a wild time. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd be so excited to see him in South Bend, though. See the their big game uh, in terms of, I guess, reminding us that West Virginia isn't really that good. Yep. Oklahoma, West Virginia. Yeah, it was uh, surprising because Mayfield only threw the ball 15 times and they still scored 56 points. I don't know if this was Bob Stoops just proving that he has a run game as well as, you know, one of the most dynamic receivers in the country and quarterbacks, but <laughs> they just pounded the ball the whole game, and that's that's it. You know, West Virginia this season, as we've talked about many times, is built on their defense and their defensive prowess unlike previous years where they're more of a spread and, you know, run the option kind of uh, speed team. But they have gotten blown out pretty pretty badly in both of their big games this year. And those are really the only two big games they've played. Hey, your defense isn't really helping you out when you're down 34 nothing before halftime. Um, Typically and, no. I mean, Yeah, and like you said, while... Oklahoma has a phenomenal passing attack. D.D. Westbrook been putting up some pretty unreal numbers. I mean, they still do have Samadji Pirine coming out of the backfield. Um, there's there's no shortage of weapons there. And, I mean, with this win, kind of, they're, they're still lurking on the edge of the CFP field, even with those uh, two early season losses. I guess the loss to Houston looks a little better now um but it's it's absurd that they're even in this conversation right now yeah i mean i i agree it's it seems like this is kind of the story with oklahoma every single year though very hyped preseason kind of stumble out of the gates and then november they're playing like the best team in the country gaining a lot of momentum only to ultimately just fall a little short. Last year, it was, uh, you know, once they had actually made the playoff. I I don't see that happening this year, but, I mean, stranger things have happened, certainly. That's for sure. I would just love to see Oklahoma State beat them in a week, not this upcoming weekend, but the following one. I mean, it would be justice because Oklahoma State got shafted on a bad call against Central Michigan, and to win that game, they would have, you know, some sort of justification, and they'd be in at least a New Year's Six Bowl where they can play a big-time game. But I can't, I don't want to see Oklahoma in this. They don't deserve it straight up. They got blown out by Ohio State, and they were really not, in that Houston game. They looked completely lost on offense, and their defense was getting just torn apart by Greg Ward, who, as we've said, is a great quarterback, but he he was just torching them. Yeah, I mean, again, nothing nothing to make you feel better, like playing against the defenses of the Big 12. Yeah, and when you give up 46 points to TCU, 40 to Texas, and 59 to Texas Tech, I don't think you're a playoff team. That's fair. That's fair. Texas Tech just got blown out by Iowa State. Yes. Just as a reminder. Just a week after they saved me with a missed extra point. The only under I've ever bet in my life. 45-44 final, and it was 90. <laughs> Would that be the game you bet the under on? Yep. I done it. Um... you want to talk Colorado-Washington State for, like, a minute? <laughs> because that yeah. game... I mean, that game is pretty simple. The passing attack did not work for Leach, and uh, Falk did not have his greatest game, and then the run game for Colorado just dominated. Yeah, I mean, Gus Johnson on the call really really drew me in. Uh, Electric. You haven't haven't listened to the electric uh, call of Lindsey's 13-yard touchdown run where he just shouts Lindsey like three or four times. Dynamite. Vince Johnson. He's the best. But yeah, I mean, we we kind of were we've been talking a lot about who Washington would face in the uh, Pac-12 title game. It's been focusing a lot on Utah and USC, but I mean, now Colorado wins this week, 
I mean, it's, it's going to be them, and you know they're they're a top ten team. I believe they just checked in at, at ninth today in the yeah, uh, CFP so. rankings. Um, so, yep, very very interesting position. Um, I mean, Mike McIntyre, you would think you ought to be uh, coach of the year because I don't think many people outside of Boulder saw this coming. Uh, you certainly wonder what might have been different if. Uh, you know, Colorado had uh, Sefo Lufau for the entire game in Ann Arbor if they might only be a one-loss team at this point. But, I mean, a lot of what-ifs out there. But in, in any event, this is a huge win beating Washington State last week and a huge opportunity to uh, possibly win the Pac-12. And you know, it's kind of the, the first year since they joined the conference that they're not a doormat and they've they reversed roles pretty significantly. They need to be sending Oregon so many thanks right now because that's a game I never saw Oregon winning just because of how tough it is to play at Utah. And I I am all over the Utes. I, I like the Utes a lot this year, and they've just let me down consistently. Um, but, yeah, they uh, Colorado's got a really good chance, and this is good for both Colorado and Washington now because they've both – legitimately got a shot to play top 10 team in the Pac-12 championship. And you can't discount that at the end of the day. You know, if something crazy happens where it's a Penn State, Wisconsin, Big Ten title, this could help vault one of them into the playoff. Absolutely. I mean, it will be a, be a quality win for whoever's able to get out of there with a the win. Um, and I, I know it's easy to kind of discount a lot of the Pac-12 this year just because none of the ranked teams for the most part are really brand names or teams you would or schools you would associate with having strong football programs. But, I mean, Colorado, Washington, Utah, Washington State, these are all very good teams. And, I mean, whoever comes out of the Pac-12, which, I mean, right now, again, like it'll be Washington or Colorado, you have a pretty strong case to, to be a playoff team, especially if it is Washington. Definitely. I think this is, we were saying last week, or I was saying last week that I thought Washington State needed to win to help Colorado's, or to help Washington's case to be a playoff team. But I think this is better than that because I think Colorado's going to beat Utah at home this week, and that's a top eight matchup for the Pac 12 title, which is huge. Yeah, it gets one more quality win on the resume, which is kind of the thing that's keeping a team like Michigan in the field right now is those uh, those top ten wins. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's see. What do you just pick? Whichever ones you want to look forward to this week, because there are a ton of them. Okay, so let's let's start with the game. Michigan at Ohio State. Michigan has not won in, let's call it a while, basically a, a quarterfinal matchup for the college football playoff. Yeah, winning in. That's that's essentially it. Michigan's down the starting quarterback spate, and I don't know. I just don't know what to make of this. I, I feel like Ohio State should run away with it, but you, you know what? It's a rivalry game. Throw the records out the window, boys. It's a rivalry. And and not that there's any difference in the records to begin with. I mean, right. obviously two top three teams for a reason. Michigan's defense has been phenomenal all season. Uh, really the only team that's kind of made them look ordinary has been Colorado. Yep. Um, which, I mean, was an extremely high-scoring game for the first half while everyone was still healthy. I feel like we can't stress that enough. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, especially this game being at Ohio State. Um, and, again, I, I don't think there's any comparison between Curtis Samuel and Jabril Peppers, not to mention all the other weapons that Ohio State has on that side of the ball. Um, and, I mean... John O'Korn looked very not good last week. I think it would be the nicest way I could put it outside of yeah. one 
like 30 yard run that completely changed the game that I'm definitely not bitter about, but uh, <laughs> he, he was incredibly inaccurate throwing the ball. Um, even when, even in the beginning part of the game, when, you know, weather wasn't really a factor, he's just throwing it at guys feet on, uh, you know, simple slants and, and other things like that. So, I mean, I I don't know what it was, if he was really just nervous to actually be starting a game for Michigan or what, but I mean, if he, if he comes out like that at all against Ohio State, it's going to be an extremely long day, and I mean, this would get out of hand. What worries me for Michigan is that's a home game against Indiana. Not that Indiana's bad this year, but we obviously know they just haven't been able to put it together for whatever reason. But Again, you're playing at home, like you should be comfortable there. You're seven of, and then you go seven of 16 for like 52 yards passing. That's not really instilling confidence when you have to play at one of the toughest places in all of college football. Then again, you look at Ohio State winning by one on the road at Michigan State. That's a little concerning, strictly because I just witnessed three weeks ago Michigan State lose at Illinois and arguably one of the worst football games I've ever witnessed. But you've got just question marks all over as JT Barrett has had multiple games this season where he's looked so average that that Indiana game comes to mind where he was held under 100 yards and he was held under 100 yards again against Michigan State this week. So I think I'm still going to take Ohio State, but both quarterbacks worry me right now strictly because we know what Barrett's capable of. That's a that's a plus for that side, but he's been so inconsistent with it. He and he can be bad when he's bad. Yeah, especially in the Big Ten schedule. I think if Ohio State were somehow able to play every week like they were against Oklahoma, they would win the national championship. No, no question. I mean, yeah, that, that was about as good a football game as you could play. Um, but yeah, once Big Ten schedule started facing some. Uh, some higher quality defenses, like you mentioned, that inconsistency is really shown. And I mean, Michigan's as tough as you're going to see uh, from a defense in the Big Ten. Um, and I mean, just about tougher than than anyone nationally, except maybe Alabama. So it's going to be interesting, kind of how Urban Meyer comes out and, and tries to attack it. I would imagine it'll be a lot more controlled than. Uh, you know, risk-taking, so to speak. But, yeah, I, I just don't see how Michigan kind of has the offense to to match up unless, you know, Davion Smith and their stable of running backs are somehow able to uh, run all over Ohio State, which I, I just don't see happening. For sure. I think it's going to be a quick first half with uh, both teams just trying to establish the run early. So we could see a very, very, very quick football game. It'd be nice. And get away to start. Yes, it would. Day. Yes, it would. So we also right, have the Iron got? Bowl. Bama yes. Auburn. The current line it looks like it's at seventeen and a half. This game was looking like it would be a lot higher stakes until Auburn had to go and lose to Georgia. But even so I mean, there's been no shortage of drama in this game as of late. Um, I mean, nothing's ever going to top kick six, but... No, that was unbelievable. Uh, this would be obviously a giant win for Auburn if they're able to, to ruin Alabama's perfect season. Of course, Alabama's not going to complain if they can beat their hated rival. Um, but again, it's kind of something you've been harping on all year. How does Auburn generate any sort of offense going up against the best defense in the country? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't like Sean White as a quarterback, and I really don't like Gus Malzahn as a coach, especially this year. I think he has cost his team a chance at a playoff spot. Three games, all three games they've lost, they've been in, and they probably should have won each or each and every one of them specifically that Georgia game last week, all you have to do is make a single change at any point in the second half when your offense has not gotten a first down and you should be good to go. But 
I could ramble on and on about Gus. Um, I think this is the week where if Sean White doesn't show anything, that we see John Franklin come in and finally take the reins as quarterback, and the kid is an absolute playmaker. I don't know. It's it's hard to pick this rivalry game, but I'm going Auburn strictly because I like how well they consistently play in the Iron Bowl. They they just seem to find a whole other level, especially on defense, when it comes to this rivalry game. I think it'll certainly be close. I think this game, I mean, Auburn really doesn't have anything to lose in the season, um, any big picture at this point, so I would imagine that Gus will get a little more creative and out there with uh, some of the play calls. But Let's I think so. this will be one of those games where uh, Alabama just remains slightly out of striking distance and then, you know, kind of finally kind of pulls away in the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I I mean, I, I can understand how the line got that high just because of how they've looked as of late, but I don't think this will be – you know, a three-touchdown game. Yeah, I think I might be uh, throwing some money on Auburn this week, and it'll kill me because they'll end up losing by, like, 17 or 18 just outside of the spread. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick Auburn straight up regardless. I, uh, I I buy into the rivalry game hype. The other one, looking at uh, another top 15 mashup, the, the third one is uh, Florida, Florida State. Florida looks like they're another, uh, they're a very bad, good team again, kind of like they were last year, um, except they somehow beat LSU last week, which I guess kind of deviates. But now they're playing a team with an offense. They're going to have to try to generate some offense to keep up. Is that even possible? No, it's really not. They... They're going to be so reliant on the defense, and the good thing for them is Florida State's offense is so turnover prone. Francois has shown the ability to you know make poor decisions and and has very poor ball security when he scrambles. And then we've seen Delvin Cook fumble multitude of times this year, which is fairly uncharacteristic for him. But as long as they can force a couple turnovers, I think they're going to be in it. Just don't. Don't make Appleby have to make plays, and you'll be fine. The run game is solid for Florida. The defense is really good, and I think Florida State's weak defense will help make Florida's offense at least produce a couple more points. So I'm, I'm going to pick Florida State, but I think it's going to be a really close game, a field goal game, I'll say. Okay. I'm going to pick Florida State as well, but... Yeah, I I just have a really hard time picturing Florida generating much offense. I think the only way that Florida's going to be able to generate points is if Scarlett has a, a pretty big game like he did last week. And obviously, going up against Florida State, not nearly the challenge that going up against LSU's defense is. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that that could happen, but that's not exactly quick strike offense um, at all for Florida, whereas... We've seen kind of what Travis Rudolph has been able to do this year, as well as Dalvin Cook, a lot of breakaway speed there. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just don't see how uh, how Florida will be able to keep this close. Yeah, it, it comes down to their defense, and if their offense can do anything against that weak Florida State defense. Now, let's uh, we'll, we'll open college basketball. I'll let you... Take the floor. Let's discuss your Hoosiers who have, I would say, surprised pretty much everyone with how well they've started the season. There was a lot of question marks losing Troy Williams and Yogi Ferrell to the NBA, and they seem to have answered them and some with how well they've played to start this season. Yeah, it, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches for Tom Crean so far in terms of possible lineup combinations just because of the the variety and depth of players he has at his disposal as well as the versatility of said players. So already we've seen, I uh, saw Josh Newkirk start the year at point guard, the transfer from Pitt. He's been replaced in the starting lineup by 6'8 sophomore Jawan Morgan, who's able to play point guard and just 
adds so much more length to their defense, which, again, is much improved. Uh, I mean, not much has happened since beating Kansas. You just eased by UMass Lowell and Liberty. That was a trap game. That was a trap game right there. Not exactly a murderer's row. They're actually on the road, basically, as soon as we stop recording in Fort Wayne. Basically, just a homecoming game for James Blackman Jr. Kind of like what North Carolina did with Marcus Page at Northern Iowa. We know how that turned out. So that did not work too well. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but, I mean, so far, so good. The, the big game now is going to be uh, next week against North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Which will be electric, but, yeah, all good so far. Just wanted to update you real quick. Virginia's up 82-28 to 28 on Grambling State. Oh, Grambling's scoring in the second half. They're, they're gunning. They're, they're gunning. Um, I wanted to also talk about Oregon and their just really rocky start. Understandably, Dylan Brooks is not 100%. He was out against, I can't even remember who they played in that first loss. Taylor. And then, yeah. yep, and then... He played, but was not 100% against Georgetown, who I I think Georgetown is the most underachieving basketball program in the last, I don't know, 15 years. I don't think they're going to get anywhere with John Thompson, but they lost at home to Arkansas State. Add that on to losing last year to Monmouth, which is now, as we know, not a bad loss, but Radford at home. And John Thompson's questionable home losses in November are just obscene. Yeah, the, the style of basketball they play just allows teams to hang around. Uh, and it's kind of the, the thing, if you're in the NCAA tournament, you're higher seed, if you're more defensive-minded, you're going to be more susceptible to upsets because you know there's a lot less margin for error between you and lesser teams. And you know in Georgetown, there's a very structured, rigid Princeton offense, then you know, that kind of lends itself to allowing clearly inferior teams in terms of talent hang around, which is why, at least against Oregon, we saw them open it up a little bit. Uh, John Thompson giving a little more freedom to, to Pryor and LJ Peak, but again, I think more of a shift in that direction is going to need to occur um, because... I mean, I, I don't see how you can be a major conference team with that much talent and athleticism, you know, trying to run that offense. That It's the most mind-boggling thing because they are probably one of the three or four most talented teams in the Big East just on paper alone. And then they're easily one of the most athletic in the conference. And they're probably going to finish somewhere between five and eight. Five, fifth and eighth place that is just because they can't seem to put it together and they run such just a ridiculous offense for the talent they have LJ Peak and Isaac Copeland are easily two top players in the Big East Jesse Govan is a, a you know an emerging big man with a nice mid-range jump shot and then you add a guy like Pryor who can score from pretty much anywhere on the floor and this should be a team that contends for a Big East title but they won't because the style of play just doesn't fit them. And John Thompson either isn't smart enough or is too stubborn to change it. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's got to be stubbornness. And honestly, like until we started talking about this, I completely forgot Georgetown was in the Big East because, you know, when we were talking about uh, preseason, like teams we could expect to maybe sneak up and contend in the Big East, like it didn't even cross my mind. Like they're, they're just that far out of, of consideration just because of, you know, how many times they've kind of built us up over the, the last several years only to, you know, let everyone down, uh, especially their fans, time and time again. But, I mean, there's they, they certainly have the talent, like you said, to make a lot of noise in the Big East, maybe not to the level of Villanova, but, I mean, there, there's not really – another team in there I, I think you could confidently look at and say just on paper like this team is much better than Georgetown I, I just style of play contributes to that but just in terms of talent I don't I don't think so 
Yeah, I think Villanova, Georgetown, and Xavier, when they have their full team, whether there's it's suspensions or whatever the hell may be going on there, if those are the three most talented teams in the Big East, and I think they're pretty interchangeable with Villanova being better or slightly better on paper. But you put it on the court, and it's blatantly obvious that Xavier Villanova are one two, and then Georgetown is way down in the middle or lower half of the pack. Absolutely. <laughs> and believe it or not, we actually started this talking about Oregon, so let's get back to them. <laughs> They've had uh, a rough stretch early. Like we said, Dylan Brooks has been hurt, not playing his best. They won today, which would be Tuesday. I don't. We're not totally sure yet when we're going to release this. But they beat a decent, I wouldn't say good, but decent Tennessee team in overtime. And Brooks led them in scoring, so... I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if it's a lack of depth or if they're just not used to not playing with Brooks on the floor because, I mean, we've seen it time and time again with some of these big teams. When you lose your best player, it takes, you know, a game, two games, whatever it may be, to get that offense flowing without that facilitator on the floor. Yeah, and he's he's still been coming off the bench, um, so he's – He's still trying to, to build his way back in there, hit the game-winning three-pointer, uh, a game-clinching three-pointer, rather, against Tennessee, which is a team that is uh, pretty rapidly improving under Rick Barnes. But, yeah, only only took nine shots today to finish with a game-high or team-high 17 points. Um, so not not of this typical usage. He usually commands a, uh, a big part of that offense, um, either shooting or just kind of making something happen. And I, I think the more they play together, the better they're going to get. I mean, I, I think it's far too early in the season to to write them off, even in the Pac-12, as some national pundits have already done. Um, I, I think this is still as talented a starting five as, I mean, you'll find anywhere west of, I don't know what the arbitrary line is. Let's say Chicago, um, but yeah, yeah. It's, the 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 bench isn't spectacular, but I mean, there's enough talent on this team. Certainly in the top six, um, probably top seven if you include Pritchard as well. But it's it's a slow start to the year. It it happens. I mean, I know all too well. Indiana went through it last year. Um, I, I would not be surprised if Oregon plays its way back in the top 10. Yeah, I think the most surprising thing for me at least was we knew they'd be a great defensive team and they've shown that. They block so many shots and they get in so many passing lanes. But the thing is, I didn't think they would struggle to score this much. Obviously, you know, it's November 22nd right now, so we can't be too upset about what's happening in college basketball because it's been, what, three weeks, not even, since it started. So... I think I'm just very surprised at how difficult a time they're having scoring. Yeah, it's, like you said, small sample size, so it's difficult to extrapolate what this mean over the course of an entire season. But, yeah, I mean, the the talent on this roster, the the number of guys who you know can hit outside shots, certainly, um, I mean, pretty much one through five, can do that, um, but I, they just haven't been. And it's it's as simple as that. A lot of it is uh, great shooting teams, high-scoring teams, a lot of times struggle to hit jump shots in gyms that aren't theirs, and it takes a good portion of the season to kind of adjust to that. And, I mean, playing, playing in Hawaii right now isn't necessarily going to help that, but, again, I, I think... Kind of the, the more this team plays together, they'll they'll figure it out. I mean, Dan Altman's too good of a coach to for this to just be a lost season. Absolutely, and and the good thing about college basketball is what happens in November can sometimes mean absolutely nothing come March. So especially for a team that we know is gonna you know contend in the Pac-12 and be a top twenty, top fifteen team the rest of the year, it shouldn't make a difference to this Baylor and Georgetown loss. Um, let's talk about Duke. They've been ravaged with injuries. And your boy, you, you called it right away, Luke Kennard, 
stepping in and playing some big minutes and making some big, big shots. Honest, that Kansas game was unbelievable at MSG. I was ready to call it the game of the year, and it's two weeks into the season. I mean, if anything, that just proves how Duke is on a different level from every other team in the country. The fact that they still almost won that game missing Bolden, Giles, Tatum, and half of Grayson Allen, uh, just because... They have so much talent on that roster. We saw big minutes in that game from Chase Jeter, who barely saw the court at all last season because Coach K kept such a tight rotation. And then, of course, Kennard, just a, a pure shooter scorer, the, the highest all-time scorer in Ohio high school basketball history. Fun fact. Uh, people forget LeBron also played high school basketball in Ohio. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, I, his his shooting splits as I, I put my post today like are just absurd even for the sample size. Fifty five, fifty two, eighty eight is is just ridiculous. Um, I mean it's two percentage points from uh, fifty, forty, ninety, which is kind of the the gold standard of shooting. Mm-hmm. And I mean he he's so much more than that. He, he's not just a catch and shoot guy. He can create his own shot. He's really getting his opportunity because he's never going to be uh, the focal offensive point on this team when someone like Grayson Allen is completely healthy and when they have everyone um, completely healthy on their team. Um, but, I mean, for now, he's what they've gotten. He's he's proven that, I mean, if you're going to play at Duke, if you're going to get a scholarship, you're, you're a pretty damn talented player. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, he's obviously been beyond impressive, especially, you know, kind of filling the role and taking over for an injured Grayson Allen who's just essentially hobbling up and down the floor each game. It sucks for Duke that their three three of their best players are wearing suits to every game right now, but once they get them, good God, is this team going to be scary? Because, like you said, they're just on a completely different level. Kansas, I would say, is one of the best teams in the country a favorite to make the Final Four, and it was a two-point win on an awesome step-back jumper. You put those three guys or a healthy Grayson Allen in, and I think Duke wins that game. So that's just how good this team can be and will be when they get healthy. And then they they followed that up by coasting by what we agree is a pretty good Rhode Island team. Yes, yes, that was a good game. The first few minutes didn't seem like they were – ever really threatened, which I, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, I was uh, I was very impressed with that win, especially the, I will, I'll say, containment to a degree of E.C. Matthews, who didn't even score double digits and is supposed to be one of the best players in the country. Obviously, he's coming off a knee injury and doesn't he's, – he's probably 100%, but I don't think he's mentally there yet as we saw him pull up on a couple drives, triple drives in, in situations like that. But containing him is huge, and that's, I, like I said, or like we both say, it's this is a good Rhode Island team who's going to be around, and I think top 20 team come the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's scary to think about how much better you can get than they already are. but so Just, wild. Too. Just wild. Just wild. Uh, we'll talk Creighton had a huge home win against Wisconsin and their backcourt just looks unbelievable with Marcus Foster and Maurice Watson Jr. Yeah, I do explain to my uh, friend at Butler the other day why Creighton was so good because he kept asking me because apparently he didn't know. But the the difference between Creighton last year um, that I saw in Assembly Hall to this year is – night and day, uh, because now it's not just Mo Watson doing it alone. He's mm-hmm. so much out. Marcus Foster, obviously, huge pickup uh, from Kansas State. Justin Patton gives them a much more athletic uh, front court presence. Of course, Cole, Cole Huff has been huge as well. Uh, yep. I, I think the, the win over Wisconsin, really one of the most impressive wins uh, of the the season so far, although it was at home, 
Um, I mean, Wisconsin is still a very, very good team, and I, th- I think they'll be a mainstay in the top 15 for pretty much all year. And I think, I don't know about you, but Creighton so far has looked better than I expected they'd be. Um, one of the most potent offensive teams in the country. And, I mean, they, they can make things pretty interesting in the Big East. Yeah, they, I mean, I knew they were good, and people had talked them up so much, or at least people in, you know, the, the areas I read and the circles I follow in terms of the Big East have talked about how great this team is going to be, and I just was kind of like, prove it, and they seem to have done it already. Their starting five I knew would be awesome, but it's the bench depth, the the leadership, the the veteran presence off the bench with Hanson Zierden and Toby Hegner, which has just been beyond impressive because they're that's a legitimate eight-man rotation they have that they can plug in at almost any position because Zierden's a, a larger guard who can play the one through three. Hegner can play the three through five, and, and they all shoot. So it's a defensive-oriented team with some really, really top-notch guards that – I've, I said it preseason, and I'll say it again. I think they're one of the elite duos in the entire country. Yeah, certainly. Uh, we'll give a quick shout-out to the Northwestern Wildcats defeating Texas in a blowout, absolute blowout last night. 77? 77-58. McIntosh has looked pretty good this season. Um it was a tough loss. They had to Butler, a game that they probably should have won. But, you know, you don't play – Hinkle's a tough place to play. So it is forgiven, I guess. And Scotty Lindsay, Fenwick grad, seems to have really improved his game and is a legitimate two through four stretch forward if they need it and just knock down shooter. Yeah, and having a, a healthy Vic Law – this season has That's certainly wonders. helped as well. Um, but I mean, another very tough loss to another Indiana team tonight. They fell to Notre Dame in the follow-up to the Texas game, the Legends Classic game. Kind of got literally thrown away um, at the very end when Northwestern had the lead by uh, Nathan Taphorn. But yeah, North- Northwestern's overall. Bad luck, kind of been rearing its ugly head in the beginning of this season, but there's no question that the program has already made significant strides under Chris Collins. I mean, just even just the the victory over Texas in convincing fashion as it was is not something I think you could have expected to see at all just a few seasons ago. Not even slightly. You know, you, you look at that game on a schedule and you figure Northwestern loses by at least double digits, and now here they are winning by almost 20 in a you know a neutral site game, which is really impressive. Do you think this is the year Northwestern finally makes the tournament? Or do you think the Big Ten is just too good and they'll just beat them down the, the whole year? I, I mean, that was immediately the first thing I started thinking of to try to answer this question is where they might end up in the Big Ten hierarchy. Um, and, I mean, I just talked through it real quick. In Indiana, Wisconsin, uh, pretty clearly at the top, Michigan State will be there. They've, they've struggled early. Michigan has looked very good so far. The Ohio State is still a better team. Um, I like Ohio Maryland, State this year, too. They looked really good against Providence. Granted, Providence isn't a great team, but their guards played really well. Yeah, so I, I don't think uh, Northwestern's going to finish any higher than, like, 7th or 8th. So I think they'll be in a very familiar position at the end of the season. Just one of, the, one of those teams on the fringe. It's, it's where they're going to have to be rooting very hard for Texas over the rest of the season to make that win look as good as it does now, if not better. Um, and I mean, I don't know who else they're playing the rest of the non-conference season. If they have uh, similar opportunities tonight, would have been a big win over Notre Dame if they were able to to knock off the Irish, because that's the team that's probably going to be ranked before the season's over. But yeah, I mean, they're going to be squarely on the bubble again. Yeah. So just looking quickly over their schedule, they have, uh, I believe, a tournament game against Wake Forest. 
could be a home game. This app does not tell me, which is just lovely. Is that, is that ACC Big Ten matchup? Oh, yeah, it is. So it's a home game. Okay. So that's that's a very winnable game that would be a nice win because I think Wake Forest is going to be middle of the pack, maybe upper, t- upper half of the ACC this year. Uh, they've got DePaul, which is more a can't-lose than anything will help you. They've got that game uh, December 3rd. They have a home game against Dayton, which could help. I think the Flyers are going to be a tournament team this year. Other than that, it's just don't lose against New Orleans, Chicago State, IUPUI, and Houston Baptist. Yeah, I mean, they they already have a couple losses in the non-conference. I think once you start inching up towards that three to four loss range before the Big Ten, that grind even starts, I mean, then you're... You're really playing with fire. Yeah, I think the big thing in their Big Ten slate is you can't lose to Rutgers, who looks improved this year, believe it or not. They look better under Steve Peichel. And I don't know. that that They've got to somehow manage a couple wins, and they can't lose the games they shouldn't. You know, Minnesota might be another team that they should beat. Uh, they seem to be a bit improved under the other Patino. That would be Richard, I mean, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know what Northwestern needs to do, but they absolutely look like a bubble team again this year. Yeah, I was trying to think of who the the clear bottom dweller in the Big Ten is this year. But it might even be too early to say, because all of the usual suspects, Rucker, Minnesota, Penn State, um, you know, for the most part, minus Penn State losing to Albany, look pretty improved. Yeah, I mean, I'll go out and say that it'll be Rutgers at the bottom just because they don't seem to have the depth and they've already, they had three technical fouls this weekend against Niagara in a home game. So that's uh, that could be a little disconcerting if you're a fan. But, I mean, they played nobody this whole year. DePaul's not a good team. And DePaul, I think they shot one of 17 to start the second half. So you're not going to win many games doing that, but yeah, I don't. I I think it's safe to say Rutgers will be the bottom of the Big Ten. But after that, like you said, Penn State and um, Minnesota seem to be improved. Nebraska is going to be a decent team. There's no real bottom dweller besides Rutgers. I'll just kind of be okay, but yeah, yes. I mean, the Paul is definitely the just Chicago Rutgers. Yes, as as uh, as difficult as that is to say, but uh, I'm, I don't really have much else. I can I can give a quick little Seton Hall talk, but other than that, I've got. Uh, I think that's good for us. All right. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, watch as much college football and basketball as you can. Seton Hall, Florida on Thanksgiving night.